welcome. This is Carl's Rockhoster Podcast. Isaac, my friend, good to see you. Welcome to the roller coaster. Thanks, Carl. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm glad to have the chance to talk to you. I mean, we we obviously uh, bumped into each other during the summer at uh, I think it was Download here in in the UK, and yeah. um, but you guys are super busy, and it's extremely exciting to obviously you know have uh, a lengthy career and keep you know uh, um, progressing and making things happen and exciting so for me it's uh, an extreme pleasure to have you here today and to talk career and music as well but other things that maybe you know people don't particularly focus much um, elsewhere so welcome and thank you for making the time thanks for having me um, well I'd like to start asking you how uh, where were you born and how was your upbringing what, where, you know, what was happening on Isaac's childhood, and uh, if you have any siblings, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it all happened 41 years ago in Belgium, Ypres, Belgium. It's a small town uh, close to France in Belgium, and uh, I was born and raised there, and I was a second child uh, out of, you know, eventually many siblings. Um, my parents got divorced at some point, so my dad remarried and all of that, got half-brothers and stepsisters and everything that has the word step in it. Uh, I, I, I have it or had it uh, multiple times, uh, so it was quite a big family, or it still is, and, um, and that was, I guess, good, you know, I, I, we all had our, I mean, if I dive into the music thing right away, my mom actually is a, a trained pianist, so she didn't really have a career in um, music, but she just um, graduated at the conservatory for piano, and she started doing something with music, but then figured out that like teaching and all of that was not really for her, so she chose a different path, but she still actively listening uh, to music not playing that much but she was always like there was always music in the house same with my dad he never really touched an instrument but he, he has a very good ear for music he always uh, i mean his, his stuff was more like neil young the beatles um what else dire straits stuff like that whereas my mom was more for like elton john and all the piano guys right and classical music um, and uh, yeah having a lot of siblings different ages different personalities so they obviously had different choices in music which was I hated it back then but eventually it, I guess it influenced me in some ways you know my older brother was more into well he could listen to either Pink Floyd or like dance music techno music stuff like that so it, it was already a quite a big range of musical influences. Then my younger brother, he was more into underground hip-hop, um, maybe hardcore as well, like the metal hardcore and biohazard, stuff like that. But all underground, not very, uh, like not the, the, the big acts. And then um, my stepsister was more into like the top 40 stuff that was on radio. 
and girly stuff, which I hated. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, you know, I had also half-brothers, which were a lot younger than me, so they listened to a whole different thing. And um, so that was kind of the background of my family musically. And then we were, um, we had to do art classes, we had to do uh, sports, so I went to play soccer, and we had to do music academy. It was not an option, right? So we, we, we just got enrolled and that was it. And uh, I didn't really like it at first, so I, I you know, you, you first learn the rhythm, reading the notes, stuff like that, the boring shit. And then uh, eventually you have to pick an instrument after one year. And uh, I wanted to be a drummer, but my dad decided he didn't want to have a drum kit in the house. So uh, he, he said, no way, just pick something else. So first I thought I'll get back to him and I'll choose trumpet or violin because it's like really hard to play and trumpet is, you know, I'll just, you know, blow the trumpet in his ear all the time. <laughs> so he maybe uh, changes his mind. Uh, and the third option was guitar, because my older brother was already playing piano, and I didn't really want to do that. And um, a lot of my peers were enrolling for guitar classes. So eventually, out of the three options, I got assigned to uh, do classical guitar. I was seven years old back then. Wow. And seven. And, um, and that's what I did. But I... Uh, Honestly, I hated every second of it. I didn't want to go to music academy. I didn't want to play guitar. So I just did even not what I had to do, you know, just like the minimum of the minimum just to pass. And, um, and, and obviously, I know that now because I've been a teacher for a while. Like the best way to learn things is during the class. So I was just playing during class and during the week, I didn't do shit at home, um, but still it worked. And I still didn't like it after years and years of going, of being enrolled by my parents year after year. Uh, I preferred, you know, soccer and the art classes were cool, but music was like, ah, you know, whatever. I'll do it because I have to, but, um, and that changed when I, was around, I, I think it was around 14, something like that. So I, I also have to mention that by the time I was 11, doing my communion, my stepmom, who was a huge Dire Straits fan, you know, Mark Knopfler, great guitar player. And, um, and I also liked that band, you know, and, and the player. And uh, she always said, like, you have to learn how to play like him, you know. So every now and then in my room, I tried to find some way to play what he did, but I, I couldn't, you know. You went to music academy, so you got the sheet music, and you played exactly or heard of ear training or anything like that. So um, when I was 11, I did my communion, and she actually gave me an electric guitar. Because uh, she thought, you know, maybe that's more for him and, you know, maybe it's more relatable because I was starting to listen to bands and no one played classical guitar, you know. They all played electric. Uh, 
Um, but then it was kind of sitting there because I didn't know what to do with it. You were supposed to play with a guitar pick. The neck was a lot thinner than the classical guitar. You know, long story short, I didn't do shit with it. And then it wasn't until my guitar teacher, when I was around 14, he told me like, well, Isaac, you're, you're not doing anything for this class, but still great. So let's make a deal. And I think it was around maybe February, something like that. And so the, the, the every end of one certain year would be, uh, June. So he said, let's make a deal up until your exam in June. You'll just practice. And what can go wrong? You know, either you'll still hate it, or maybe you become really good at it, and, and maybe you can do something with it uh, eventually. And I think just that challenge, you know, I'm, a, I'm an all or nothing guy, you know, still, uh, and I love challenges. So just that little sentence for me was enough to start practicing like a maniac. So that's what I did. And by June, I got like really good grades. And I, you know, I, I kind of left everyone, everyone behind, you know, <laughs> like playing really difficult pieces um, already. And I guess that was the point where I also put enough work into the practice and the playing that it became fun because before that it was just going there once a week looking at the sheet oh what what was i supposed to do okay let's play it you know but now i knew pieces by heart or i could fool around with dynamics stuff like that because i just knew what i was doing more and more and that was kind of the beginning he was also the same teacher who at one point, there was a short uh, break during the year, and he um, came up with this electric guitar class. He didn't give the lessons himself, but he invited some guy who's really good in electric guitar, and he would uh, teach us some songs. So I learned some Nirvana, some, I think, Offspring bands that were popular uh, back then. And obviously more fun than the stuff that we were playing with classical guitar, you know. So, and I guess that was where I already had the electric guitar. I could um, brag to other peers like, hey, I can play Smells Like Teen Spirit or <laughs> whatever, you know. And, and, and that was the beginning of it. I was back then 15 maybe. And that's when I started my first band with a couple of friends. And um, and we took it from there. Very cool. I mean, that's uh, quite impressive. I didn't know that you had started taking uh, lessons by the age of seven. That's uh, that's quite something. And um, everything that you've mentioned from from home, the influences, the music that your dad was listening to, that your mom was listening to, that your siblings were involved. I mean, you got exposed to so much good stuff. Because I mean, I personally, I'm a fan of. The vast majority of the names that you have mentioned, you know, yeah. even even uh, uh, um, the poppy bands and the girly bands and things like that from from the 90s. I'm a big fan, you know, and even dance music from the 80s and uh, not my forte, but, you know, I have good I have I, I have appreciation for that. But obviously yeah. all the 
the bands from the 60s and the 70s and then uh, rock and roll uh, for like you know black music 40s and 50s merging with everything and then eventually having the Beatles right who basically revolutionized everything from being like the very first uh, pop group to write their own music and like straight away the first one writing their own music they were writing like amazing yeah. songs it's not that you know we got prepared for something you know but no uh the first ones on, the first ones to do everything you know stadium band pop everything um and and still to this day i mean for me it's like um the beatles are like on my my top list of of the acts that i most uh, love listening to um and yeah and what um basically did you remember when you got like in touch with metal when you listen when you had like some hat when you had some heavy bands coming into play and then everything that you were studying on the instrument maybe uh you know brought you into playing heavy riffs as you mentioned from smells like teen spirits but perhaps getting into something a little bit heavier and maybe even getting mm -hmm. the interest on you know soloing and and getting into something that would basically become uh your life later on well i guess it all started around 12-ish that's when again with the communion i got my electric guitar but i also did a a performance with some uh, nephews uh we did some sort of uh, uh you know playback thing sort of show for the family right so we built our own uh guitars just out of wood and some drums and we played some uh, some guns and roses and i also remember because i was already I, I don't know how i picked up on them or when exactly but i know also for that same communion i got uh was a i think it might have been spaghetti incident or use your illusion i'm not sure one of those and i got it as a gift which was to me like the holy grail you know some some music that my parents or anyone in the family didn't listen to but me and um so that's where it all started and then i got some like if, if i had a little money i went to remember those days when you had uh cd shops of course i do <laughs> you could go with and they had cds <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's what i did whenever i had some money and usually my choice would be go to the metal or hard rock section and then scroll through some just just by looking at the the album artwork if it spoke to me i'd buy it you know without even listening to it mm -hmm. so i guess the second album ever that i owned was uh, effigy of the forgotten by suffocation wow that's heavy <laughs> which is like death metal as brutal as it gets i guess yeah. so one home and it just looked really scary and really like something that no one else would listen to and when i heard it it was like well now i understand why not a lot of, not a lot of people listen to this because <laughs> I thought in the beginning it was horrible, you know. It took me years to appreciate what they're doing. So I went to school, took the album and sold it to one of my friends, but <laughs> and he loved it. But uh, eventually I got to uh, love my death metal, of course. But, um, you know, that that's kind of how it started. You just go to a CD store, you pick up some albums, and soon I got into, like, 
um, dream theater. I had a huge progressive metal phase where I would buy old albums that looked progressive because they had a very distinctive look mm -hmm. usually. Um, do you still have your were... do you still have your CD collection from those days? Yeah. Yeah, I still have them Did in you... the attic. Did so you... it's it's something that I always think like oh I should go up to the attic and scroll through them and because now I can stack all the CDs, I can kind of import them in my car, uh, but I never do it. You know, I still go back to the same albums over and over again. <laughs> but there's some really interesting and underground stuff there. You know, did you did you did you did you, did you used to buy only uh, CDs or did you buy vinyl and cassettes and things like that as well? Usually CDs. I had a CD player. My dad had an LP player, but you know it was like too much hassle to, you know. Then I had to wait until he was gone to use his pickup. You know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't. It's mainly CDs. I do have some LPs, but that's not something I. I, I don't have a, a real LP collection. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose so, that uh, nowadays, uh, for you, when you listen to music, you just uh, you listen via DSPs basically Spotify Apple music that kind of yeah. stuff yeah 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 exactly I'm I'm a huge fan of radio <laughs> so I uh, usually just listen to whatever's on the radio except for uh, the moments when I'm in my car then I go back to the my classic albums which are as I mentioned stacked there and uh, um, yeah I, I, I just get inspired by not any radio station i would say but but the one i listen to it's a, a belgian radio station called joe fm and it has a good mixture of really uh of a lot of the older stuff and then some newer stuff mm -hmm. so it's not the kind of um you have some some of these uh channels are only doing like modern stuff or uh, it's it's not like that. It's a good mixture, and I like that. Every now and then, they also do like an '80s list or a '90s, whatever you know. Mm -hmm. And so I get a lot of different genres during the day, and um, that's what I like. When it comes to like uh, you mentioned uh, inspiration, you use the word inspiration. When it comes to like uh, trying to get inspired or sitting down to write music. Do you follow any particular process? Is that is that it, it, how how do you approach songwriting? Is it something that you uh, try to think of a theme, or you try to put some time uh, on the day that you're gonna sit down quietly and let you know inspiration come or see what comes out of what you play? How do you approach like songwriting? It's very hard to explain because it's it can be anything. Honestly, it's so weird. Sometimes you're just, as I mentioned, you're listening to the radio, you hear something like, oh, and I write it down, you know, in my notes on my phone, I'd write down uh, this song, that artist, Bridge. And then I have to go back on Spotify or whatever to find it and to, and maybe I even forgot that it, that it was an inspiration or what I was meaning. Maybe it's the groove, maybe it's the melody, whatever. But it's like something that pops in my mind, like, oh, I can make this metal 
uh, some sort of 80s dance whatever thing you know <laughs> um, or other times it's like you say you know I'm, I'm here in my home studio so I have like all my guitars my gear uh, I have everything here I can just uh, switch everything on and, and grab my guitar start noodling around or maybe I have a thought or I want to write a riff maybe I have a melody that popped in maybe you know uh, one of the the songs for Epica that that is on that I wrote and that's played on every show is a melody that popped into my mind when I was walking the dog just down the road here and I live close by a, a, a train rail track and the train was passing by it was so noisy but still that melody popped in my mind at that, that time so i ran back <laughs> halfway the route and i ran back to record it here in my home studio and that became eventually that song and and um, and a quite good one you know let's say and, and so it's very it? random then other days i just pick up the guitar and i write a song in half a day because mm -hmm. it's a riff song maybe Mm -hmm. And then I've had songs that I wrote over the course of seven years, you know, that it takes seven years not constantly working on it, but just like working on it, putting on the shelf, coming back to it, knowing that, oh, I need to change this or that. And then you, you can't figure it out. And then it takes years and years and years to develop. Maybe you wrote another song in the meantime and you have a leftover and you're like, hey, but wait a minute, if I use that idea and I come back to this song that is still on the shelf, maybe there's going to be a connection there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Or you work on a song a whole day, you think you have the holy grail now. <laughs> you know, like, finally, the, the, the monster hit. <laughs> and then the next day you listen back to it, you're like, gosh, <laughs> forget about it. <laughs> um, so it's very hard to explain where inspiration comes from. It's like, you can, or, or someone tells you a story you know, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, this is, this is interesting. So it's not all, always musically it could be a theme or like a, yeah, whatever. It, it's yeah. it's um, a weird thing. Just just uh, for everyone here to to go and check it out, uh, whoever is not familiar with Epica music, what song was the one that you ran back from the from the street that you had the the melody that you guys play currently? That was uh, Beyond the Matrix. Beyond the Matrix. There you go. The Matrix. Uh, so the, the main melody, which is uh, translated eventually into a choir part, um, that that part, which is also the intro, and it comes back on every chorus. Mm -hmm. That's the part. And then the rest of the song, I already kind of had like, I had some pieces here and there, but but it, it didn't make sense. You know, mm -hmm. it was without that idea was one of these things that would stay on the shelf, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. suddenly it clicks. And it usually does when you do something that has nothing to do with composing or being creative mm -hmm. or whatever. It's just 
walking the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and and how do you, for example, when when does it become like? Uh, I, I guess it's uh, two questions in one. But do you tend to be because obviously, uh, in general, artists and musicians they tend to. It, 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 always seeking that the perfect riff, the perfect rhythm, the perfect melody, trying to come up every every album you write, every song you come up, every every idea, it's always that urge to this is gonna be like you said, the monster hit. This is the one. You know? How do you how do you manage uh, your own expectations in regards to that when you're coming up with ideas and understanding that okay this is good, this might lead, might lead somewhere, or maybe this is leading somewhere and you've been working on this particular idea for a while and now it's time to actually get a demo, do a pre-production and eventually, you know, produce to actually enter an album. How do you manage your personal expectation and how do you observe yourself during the process to not overthink too much of trying to kind of like perfect too much the, the, the song or perfect too much the, 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 the particular riff and eventually maybe uh, losing it or just maybe it's, shelving it's, it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the key word here is uh, honesty. And, and, and Again, it's hard to explain, but whenever I have something that I have a little doubt about, you know, a little piece of the song that I'm not sure if it's totally right yet, and I send over the demo to the band, it's the first thing that comes to the plate. Like, yeah, good song, but maybe this part needs some more work. So, and, and it's been like that always. And it's been like that whenever bands reach out to me or people who have a band and they need some advice or can you listen to this demo or can you help us out? And, and every now and then I do. And, and every time I tell them, you know, it's but try, try this or, or maybe this part is not really fitting or whatever. Like 99% of the times, they're, they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> and it is like that with me as well. So whenever you, yeah, it's, it's a feeling, you know. It's like being honest with yourself. If you know that it's not right yet, then it's not right yet. And it's as simple as that. But sometimes it's um, frustrating if you have to be honest like that. Because when, when are you satisfied, right? So, um, but whenever the song starts speaking for itself, I would say, which is a very, like, you know, it, it takes these kind of weird expressions to, to explain what I mean, you know, like when, when, when it becomes the song, so to speak, that's where you can let go and like, okay, now it's good. The same with that melody that popped in my mind. It didn't matter if it was a choir or a violin or a guitar or whatever. It was the melody that started speaking. And if it would be, you know, it, it you know, every now and then you have hits which have la 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 or blah 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 or which there's not even lyrics. There's 
or there's an instrument playing something. So it's not necessarily about the message in that case, it's just the melody. And then other times it's the message, obviously. It's like, it doesn't matter what the chords are, it's like, this is a very strong message. Imagine, for example, you know, um, or uh, knocking on heaven's door, for that matter. It doesn't really matter what the music would do. Of course, we all know it in that version, but, but bottom line is that the message is stronger. So it also depends on that. But then once you have that melody, and if it's a good melody, which stands on its own, and you know, oh, it's fine, then at least you already have that. And then whatever comes before or after, you decide, do I want to continue with that, or do I want to break from that? You know, I have a strong melody. What comes before? What comes after? Maybe you want to start with a strong melody. So it pops into everyone's head already. And then if you've done that, you need to cool down, you know? And especially if it's a melody with, with let's say, vocals after that, you want the people to, or yourself for that matter, to have a little break and have some instrumental thing. So that's the flow of how you write it. You think of what's the next step to take. And usually you can, it's like in life, what's the next step you're going to take? You have multiple options, but whatever you, whatever decision you make, you'll end up somewhere. If it's a good place or a bad place, you'll find out. You can always turn back and take another exit, but, uh, well, not always, but <laughs> usually. <laughs> and it's kind of the same with writing, you know. It's not, a, it's not rocket science, it's trial and error. And if it works, it's sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's going to work all fine, like decision after decision and that's going to give you a song in one day and it's and still and it's still somehow a, a, um, a, a teamwork as well right because you mentioned that you will send uh the idea to the band and more often than yeah. not it has always been very similar the fact that they will say oh maybe change this or maybe add that so you've learned yeah. during this process to obviously trust the people that you work with to a level where you know what they're saying there is something to it and it's not a yeah. one man's job or or or, or a two-sided people kind of relationship because writing music writing lyrics <laughs> and expressing yourself via uh music uh, can be quite um when people it might be something they really enjoy but it could be something that some other people doesn't really relate to and this relationship sometimes there's a lot of emotion involved in music, right? So it's like, oh, but I really like this. I mean, what's wrong with it? And you know, so it yeah. takes you into it takes a lot to be be able to be vulnerable, I suppose, as well to accept, you know, uh, that um, it might be something that you're really interested. In. And that's when sometimes, obviously, different ideas and different visions for um, for musicality, for uh, development of different. Uh, sounds and different even uh, um, routes to take the music of a group or of an artist sometimes coming to into discussion right because people change yeah. you know when you're yeah. 20 you really like there's things that stick they stick on you but like the older you get I mean the more mature you get you know we always hope for that for everyone and, and right <laughs> and 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> and we change. So like musical tastes, they will change. Something that you used to listen when you're 20 might not be the case that you might be blasting out nowadays. And that might influence your the out the output of your uh, creativity as well. I would I would imagine, right? Right, but that's totally right. But I would also mention that if you write music, you shouldn't follow any trend. You know, it's easy to do that. Oh, this band next door has a lot of success. What's their formula? What are they doing? And let's do that. You know, that would be easy because it's sort of copy paste, right? In a in a certain way. And that's the 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 thing you have to remind yourself of. Like they do what they do best, and maybe they also rip it off from someone else. Who knows? But uh, so I think in that way. Just making the music, and it sounds very cliche, but you know, you, we just make the music that we feel is good at that time. And some albums will be better than other albums, I suppose, um, for people out there, I guess, and or I'm sure I've heard. And and but still, it's like in that particular phase of our lives collectively as a band that we make this kind of music and that everyone is happy with the music that we made at that point in time. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. And then secondly, I would say that, yeah, we all change. We all, uh, you know, I became a dad. Um, you know, I, I have a lot more responsibilities as opposed to when I was 20. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of, I can't sit in my home studio for 16 days like I used to, and um, I wish I could, but it's not the case. So I need to, yeah, make use of my time in a different way, which is fine. Um, but also, I want to point out that we're six individuals in this band, and you could say, well, everyone has a different opinion, and it's very frustrating. Sure, it's frustrating. You know, every now and then it's like, well, I really love this, as you mentioned. Like, you really love something you wrote, and then someone says, nah, nah, I would change it. You know, or the the, the vocal melody, nah, could, could should be different. And and you've been singing this in your mind for a half a year already before <laughs> you send it to the others, right? And um, you can already imagine, like, a, a crowd of people who are singing along and, you know... The whole vision is there, right? And then someone tells me that. <laughs> but it's frustrating, but it's also like that when I write something, I could easily think of, oh, but this is where, let's say, the drummer can do his magic, because I can, I can program some drums, but not like a drummer. I, I can do like a hi-hat and a kick and a snare and maybe a drum fill, but I, I can't do his magic. He, he, he's been doing this for forever, you know, and uh, I only program drums whenever I'm writing a song. So I make it very basic, but I know like, oh, this piece needs his input. Or uh, let's say Mark, the other guitar player, when he writes, he had he tends to have like a million ideas in one song, way too much. And then we have to 
cut cut out the weeds, let's say, to end up with with something like uh, structure. But his forte is to come up with. If you have one ID, he can come up with like twenty other IDs that have something to do with it. Well, this is also something you can use because I can't, you know, and so. It's easy to only look at what's frustrating, but you also have to look at, okay, I started writing this song, but now it needs something that this or that person would would add in like the blink of an eye. They, I could work on it for two years, or I give it to them, and they're going to fix it in one day. And, and so that's also the, the other side of that. You know, we have different opinions, but we also have our strong individual things that, that every single one of us is good at. Mm -hmm. and, I think and obviously you said you mentioned trust, and that obviously takes trust to do that. But so every now and then it also is like that, like, okay, this is the best I could do. I already sent it off. I'm not 100% sure if it's what it should be already, but without even mentioning that I need this person or that person's help because mm -hmm. they come up with it themselves because you already doubted this little part. So you know that it's going to come up mm -hmm. and then you can say, well, maybe we need a part like this and Hey, you're good at that. Psychology of being in the band. Exactly. Which brings me to, to like, um, like, not necessarily a question, but like your experience with um, how to maintain, like, which will spill to other areas of life, which we'll talk about later, like uh, um, uh, a relationship and marriage and family and all that. But like within a band, within the group of individuals, um, how um, is there anything in particular that you observed from your career on your career? Is there anything? Um, or any sorts of behaviors or approaches that you take personally that you end up seeing other people around you doing it as well in order to maintain uh, fluidity, maintain honesty, maintain, uh, well, uh, five different people still focused and still thriving and still wanting to, to do what you're doing, which is play, rec write music, record albums, tour the world, and obviously face the difficulties that come with it because from outsider's perspective it's always like oh my god these people they're living the dream they are traveling they're doing big shows they are making a lot of money they are multi-millionaires this and that but we know that there is a very good uh th there is a lot of truth in it which is yes you're making a living out of something that you love you're traveling with people that you like being around and all of that but there's other sides of it that a lot of people don't see which is being far away from the family and and whatever things that might happen with uh each individual part of the group but for you personally isaac how um how have you navigated the ups and downs of of a long-term career being in a band in a, in a in a band that basically travels the world continuously playing shows and recording albums how did you how did you deal with it all during your life well it's it's not a very conscious thing i would say it's more like uh 
sure we have ups and downs for sure um but you always kind of keep in mind what the, the what the alternative could look like maybe that's that's a thing and also it's just that it's not as bad as you think it is you know you can get caught up in something if you're together 24 7 with some people that are not necessarily your best friends let's face it you know epica is not a band that before starting the band we were hanging out in a pub you know we were located in four different countries we're um people that randomly randomly you know like kind of ended up in that band so it's not necessarily my best friend out there that i asked to uh play uh bass in in my band let's say um so that that's maybe it's sort of a colleague relationship but obviously you share that much uh, time together so you get to know each other really well and you know when to get away from someone or just when to talk to someone or yeah i mean i don't want to dramatize it right away but at least you can get things out of your chest and it's out there you know instead of being in your mind and making it bigger than it actually is and um, so I think that's a good trademark let's say or a good thing that we do every now and then even if it's not on a low just knowing like who who is where the heads are at, you know, where, where, which direction we want to go. Um, you know, some of us have a family, others don't. So that's a, that, that's a different thing, you know. Again, I, I can't sit here all day and work for the band. Again, I wish I could because I love it, but it's not the case. And um, yeah, and also, I would say just just um, try to use your strengths and know what what someone else's strengths are. You know, I I rather have Simone do all the interviews and look good doing it <laughs> than me doing it and not really caring about it because I prefer to I don't know run the numbers of a tour and she doesn't like that. She's not interested in like uh, bookkeeping or stuff like that but i like it so, so and i don't feel bad if she... what's that you are the tour manager of the so, band <laughs> well i can say that but <laughs> hell no i would never want to be a tour manager <laughs> no but i do like you know you, you make music and all of that but i do like the let's say the whole marketing idea the whole how will you make more people uh, eventually listen to your music or come out to your shows or 
buying your shirt, you know, the whole maybe psychology behind it or the whole number thing. I, I do like that. But I also understand that not everyone in the band likes that, you know, or drummer. He just wants to play drums and, and he does it pretty well. <laughs> so uh, we don't need a different drummer and it's okay for him if he doesn't care about that. Um, and again, you know, that could be sometimes frustrating if you have big, uh, big decisions to make. But still, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna shoot them because they, because they don't really uh, feel any affection with numbers. <laughs> it's like uh, you have to realize that we're still a band making music, and we try our best. And from the moment you start thinking, oh, but, but we need to earn more money, and we need to. Have more fun. like if it always needs to grow, 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 and if that's your fixation, then then troubles gonna arrive. You know, it shouldn't be your initial goal. Of course, you want to play bigger shows or you know maybe earn a little more than the year before. Who doesn't? But uh, it it shouldn't be your starting point. Let's say. And I think we all understand that. I think we're all at a point where, yeah, we make a living of, a, of something that we love doing. And um, so everything that, all the extras are nice extras. But if, if it doesn't happen, it's fine too, you know, let's say. Of course. We're, we're already happy the way it is. and. Of course, you want to expand, but it's not the main goal. It should never be the main goal. It was never the main goal when I picked up that electric guitar when some friends asked me to start a band. Even though I already looked up to Slash and Guns N' Roses and thought, like, oh, how awesome would it be to to be like him, you know? But um, it's yeah. just the creation of music, the, you know, yeah, Stuff I, like that. I, I I love everything that you that you said because um, being a musician or working in the music industry on any capacity, it's not something that people get into it um, thinking, oh, I'm gonna get rich or I'm gonna make actually a very good living out of it. Most people get mm -hmm. into it because of the passion and something that uh, drives them. Um, internally some sort of higher power or some inspiration something that really touched them to make yeah. um, something out of something you know like out of um, an instrument or out of relationships or whatever it might be but um, I relate entirely to everything that you've just said because um, most people if they whenever they are driven only by money trouble ensues at some point you know, because um, it's not yeah. a healthy way to live. And it's really great when you actually meet people, when you end up working with people that share the mentality of of appreciation, of gratitude. Wow, I mean, we, we've got something pretty special here. Not many people can say the same. And obviously, the, gr the, gr the grass is always greener. Uh, you know that's that saying you know because you people can always say oh but I wish I was playing arenas all over the world and not doing this or whatever it might be the case but we tend yeah. to forget the perspective that uh, very few people get to do at the level that you do that Epica does 
you know, uh, for leaving for and and stay um, stay. I'm missing the word now. Stay relevant on the scenario. Mm. Stay relevant uh, to people and keep growing and keep getting like bigger and better opportunities because that's kind of like what it has been on Epica's career, isn't it? Like if you look back like last year and what this year has been for the band, I mean, it's pretty remarkable that the opportunities and the things that uh, happen, that are happening. And that goes, uh, obviously that, you know, um, finances, they will end up uh, getting better whenever those opportunities and things are big up. But you're not driven by that. And yeah, I think yeah. it's absolutely, it's absolutely uh, uh, fundamental, especially in the world of, of ours that we live in a world where, you know, people still, I mean, are completely taken by, by the mind and by the, the actual experience of being this creature called human beings. And, and we're so archaic still believing that, you know, invading countries is the thing and like killing neighbors and like, it just it it, it 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 really puzzles me how uh stupid we really are so it's really refreshing to actually hear what you just said and um with that in mind how do you see this industry which is uh it's very niche when you think about it heavy metal and um it's 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 something that um in the foreseeable future sometimes it makes me a little bit like, what is it going to happen? Where is this going to? Like, what kind of... I mean, I used to have a band myself. I graduated as a classical singer myself. I studied music and, you know, recorded albums. I was signed, at, you know, very early on. I was doing a lot of things that I really thought that's what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. But back then... No, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, um, heavy metal singer and um, yeah, did like four albums and recorded and toured and, you know, did a bunch of stuff that I definitely thought this is, this is my path, you know. Started back, you know, into, in, in early 2000s with, with Angra, which is a Brazilian band, uh, good friends of mine and um, working with them and same producers and sharing the stage and touring together and a bunch of things. But back then... You would still sign a contract, say, in Japan and license a record, even though it's your first album. But the label would say, yeah, we're going to sell 3,000 CDs. So we can actually give you an advance of $3,000 kind of thing. But nowadays, um, I mean, when I think about, like, what can a newcomer do? Like, the scene has changed so much and it has been changing so much. Even in London, which is where I live, been living for the last 15 years. When I moved to London, there were places that I could go and play. There was a scene. Nowadays, all of those places are gone. They don't exist anymore. And what do you see, like, for example, as a teacher, you know, as someone that is so involved with, you know, uh, in this world and it's been your life for such a long time. So you probably see a lot of, like you said, bands coming to you, asking for advice. Um, yeah. what, what do we do? How do we get on? How... How do we get exposure? How do we do this? How do we do that? What do you have? What are your views and your... What, 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 honestly, what's... What, what would you say to somebody coming asking for advice to you? You know, like in a genuine way. Not just like, yeah, go practice your instrument, write some good music. and but Like, what comes up to you? Build your network. I think looking back, 
not only uh, on my path, but also on um, people that I've met, people I've talked to about how they got where they got, is a lot of it has to do with your network. And then it's as simple as you can uh, have a band and you can practice every weekend and you can get maybe a local gig or whatnot. But to expand and to go for the next step means that if you have your local gig, you might want to go and talk to the owner of the venue. You might want to go talk to other bands, even if it's a band that plays before you, you know, they might be bigger by next year. So, and it's all these little things, you know, like be, just be, how, how you build the network is be interested, you know, like ask someone, what are you doing? Maybe besides the bands, they might be, uh, I don't know, someone who builds websites, might be someone who's printing stuff, whatever, you know. You never know what people are doing, and that's how you can slowly start building your network. Even if you can't use them now, you'll still know them in five years when you might need them. And I think that is as important as the music, as important as whatever has to do with the actual band. Um, and that's, in our case, uh, I would say it's still the case that I'm networking from time to time, but it's also the good thing about having a manager. Now, I'm not saying that every band and starting band should have a manager. That's totally not what I'm saying, because you should be your own manager at some point, which we did for like 15 years until it was like impossible to tour at the other side of the world while advancing another tour, uh, you know, with a different time zone or being busy all the time. So at some point we got a manager and that's, I would say, also for him, his main job is networking, making sure that people hear about us, making sure that he shows his face, that he knows who is going to be in town for this or that tour. Or, you know. And I think slowly, if you do that, you'll have a big network of people that every now and then, if you check in on them, they will remember you whenever they need you or the other way around. And, and that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And, um, cause I once heard that it only takes, uh, let's say three people to reach every person in the world. That's something like, let's say your average followers on social media would be, let's say one, 1000 people. If you're in a band, let's say, because then you have your family, obviously, but you have people who like the band, uh, you have 1000 people. So each of this 1000 people might have another 1000 people and then it spreads out. So that's something I've never calculated it, but apparently it only takes three persons down the line to reach anyone in the world. Obviously, that might be a little exaggerated, but, you know, I know this guy who knows another guy, 
That, that's been said a lot of times mm -hmm. in the business, and I guess in any business. And uh, so, yeah, of course, you need to work hard. You need to do. You need to put in the hours and the work, and the music has to be decent, but. Uh, there's always these complaints about a lot of people like, oh, this band is not even that great, so how can they be so big? I don't get it. Well, probably they have the right network, and they talk to the right people, or they know the right people, or something like that. You know? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I firmly believe on, on the... And, and again, I think it goes back to the beginning of the conversation when I said that um, it's all, it also has to be something genuine, right? Because in, yep. the, in this business of ours, if, if there's, you know, people, I mean, people talk and then you, you end up knowing who's for real and who's not for real. And I guess it's the same on, on every uh, field of work, on any field of, of business in the world, you know. Some are a bit more... Um, um, reluctant on facing reality sometimes but um, in our line of work it's really it's really word of mouth like I always I always say to people you know like um, the job that I personally do I can't go on a website oh uh, let me apply to be the tour manager for Beyonce <laughs> exactly it especially does. in your department you know being crew I would say yeah. it's even more in important well crew i don't want to yeah absolutely. downplay your role but no absolutely uh, i yeah. mean it's crew working for a band uh, i think the network is even more important um because you know you never know when your band's gonna be uh off off the road because they gonna write a new album and what you're gonna do in the meantime you know exactly. if you never said hi to everyone yeah <laughs> <laughs> But exactly. it, it works the other way around as well, you know, it works within the bands and, um, you know, actually I, uh, recently we had a big uh, band meeting and then next year we're supposed to have the summer off. We've had, a, or we're in the middle of a very busy summer. And um, so I, I actually suggested that whoever wants to, because I understand that networking is not for everyone, you know, some people don't like the small talk or whatever, uh, or just uh, don't, you know, it's a familiar face, but where do I know him from, right? Mm -hmm. But um, if you do like it, I suggested that maybe if we're not playing the festivals, maybe we can just go there and just talk to people, you know, show our faces. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's going to cost us money if we want to go there, but it's something that eventually uh, has some might have some return you know so um i don't see um empty agenda necessarily as that you can't do anything you know? absolutely because by that time our albums or we're supposed to write a new album right now we're going to record it then by next summer we should be done with the recording so i could easily say i'll just sit at home and do nothing which is an option, but um, probably I won't be doing nothing if I'm sitting at home because that <laughs> doesn't exist if you have a family. But either way, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And uh, or I could just still go out there and you know go to Grass Pop for a whole weekend and say hi to all the bands and all the people I know Absolutely. and ask them how how they are, mm -hmm. which is something I don't mind doing because I like to know the answer. But, um, 
and it's sometimes as simple as that. So that that's like an advice that if you want to skip the, like you said, like oh, get well at your instruments, make sure that your band clicks, that your band members are, you know, that you have a decent drummer, decent guitar player. If you want to skip all of those uh, things that are, yeah, that we kind of take for granted, let's say, then I would say networking is very important. For you, Isaac, having a family and uh, being a touring musician and being as busy as you have been during this year, how, what are the difficulties that you find to obviously maintain a family and, and also be a present dad and be a present husband? Um, what are the things that you, for example, um, see and perhaps even uh, share your knowledge with someone like myself that doesn't have a family but intends one day of having one? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, it's a, it's a big challenge, but... Uh, <laughs> but I like, you know, it's it's like, um, how can I say, uh, being on the road as opposed to being at home, it's like two different worlds. At home, I don't have time for breakfast or I don't take the time. On the road, you wake up in your hotel room, you go downstairs, breakfast is served, you know. And you'd, you'd gladly wake up one hour earlier to enjoy it. You know? So there's a lot of things that you do on tour that you would never do at home or the other way around. Uh, I, I do like that, uh, how would I say, duality, that, that it's, it's like a different life almost. Um, and the only times it gets really troubling, I would say, is if you have too much of one of those. Too much time at home without a real purpose with the band, let's say you're off the road, you, the album is done, uh, whatever, you know, you're just at home and you don't have anything to do. Well, that's good for a month, maybe two months, but like during the pandemic or the lockdown, it just took way too long. So I guess I'm not, it's not only in the music business, but if it's too long of the same thing, it gets boring or you can't appreciate it anymore, whatever, you know, you just want to go out on the road and do something or do something else with the band, like writing or whatever. And then if you're on the road too much, like this year was kind of, uh, on the limit, let's say on the edge, uh, then, then you just want to be home and you just want to, mow the grass <laughs> and just forget about shows or you know especially now the summer season it's like my my suitcase never leaves the spot <laughs> i put it in when i get home you know usually it ends up on the attic but <laughs> in between tours but now there's no time for that you just unpack it wash the stuff pack it again oh and, and you're on the road again so after a couple of months of that uh, during summer festivals, you're, you're, you want to have a break, which I will have, you know, so we're, we're always trying to, um, maintain that, that, uh, a sort of same schedule. Um, but sometimes you don't anticipate on it. You're like, 
oh, we have a tour opportunity there, and then after that we go straight into that other tour, and then in between we're going to record an EP, and then we're off to a summer festival, and then blah, blah, blah. But all these options get presented in a meeting in January, then one in March, then one in, you know. Mm -hmm. So you always say, oh, yeah, fine, no problem, not realizing that you said yes to all the other options before. <laughs> so you end up in a situation where you're like, when the hell did I say yes to all of this? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then it's time for a little break, which in this case is coming because we're um, focusing on the new album. And we're only going to do a handful of shows end of the, or after summer. And then we have some writing camps lined up so it's pretty much uh, we rent a house in holland we all get together there we take our laptops and our home studios you know some remote things that we can use to write or to um, uh, go over ideas we set up in different rooms so i could walk into the bass player's room and say hey what are you working on so it's a very relaxed environment um and that's uh, three of those sessions are coming up later this year. And that's about it. So I'll have a lot of time at home and uh, a lot of catching up. But, you know, uh, truthfully, it's sometimes a challenge to combine it. Um, especially my, my wife, she's also working irregular hours, so it's not a nine to five. And um, having a kid, we rely on grandparents quite a lot during busy summer festival seasons, <laughs> but they love it. So it, it all works out fine, but it's some managing on, on that level, you know, like time management, and, uh, but that's fine. When you're off road and not recording, um, do, you said that you teach, you have a music school, right? I used, oh yeah, the online the thing. Online yeah. thing yeah. I used to in uh, in person but I quit that years ago uh, because it was kind of too like if you're on the road you can't teach and then if you're back home you can pick up on it so it was for me it was convenient but for the student it's like oh well I don't have a teacher for two months now so mm -hmm. what I what do I do so eventually I just quit that um, but I did start that online uh, thing um, is that still active because it's still active but not as active as I wanted it to be I guess uh, the whole lockdown COVID thing kind of stopped that because the idea it's called College of Metal and the idea is that the the teacher is the person who either wrote the songs or uh, who uh, performs the songs so in my case, I'm the teacher of only Epica songs because I either wrote them or I played them and I recorded them. You know, so the the best person in the world to explain the songs of Epica would be someone who is playing the songs and recording them in Epica, and that's the concept. So uh, I did those lessons for Epica, and then I had a whole bunch of people from different bands lined up to do that. Uh, but then that would happen when the lockdown started, so the recordings couldn't 
continue. Mm -hmm. And honestly, after that, also becoming a dad uh, mm -hmm. and the bands picking up again, it kind of was pushed back on the shelf. But it's yeah. still something I want to continue doing because a lot of people ask me about it. It's, mm -hmm. It seems to be a... It's an interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, because you get a lot of uh, courses where someone will explain to you how to play Sad But True by Metallica. But if Kirk Hammett or James Hetfield would, would tell you, that's a different thing. Or they can say, hey, this is how we recorded it, but now live we play it like this, or I play it like this because it's more convenient. It took me forever to find out. But, you know, these little totally. tips and or, you know, or I started with this idea and then I changed it into what it eventually became. Or, um, that, that's something that no one else could teach you. Sure, yeah. Also, the personal relationship, even if it's, you, it's an online lesson, but it's the actual person explaining it to you. You get to know this person just a little better. Yeah. And, and that small bit of information might give you a lot more information about where they come from, why they do what they do, stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know? So I thought that that would be an interesting concept. Plus, it's also a way of, um, you know, for musicians to earn more money. Of course. I, the whole idea was to not only help people to learn how, how to play the songs, but also help, well, help, you know, and not that some of those people need financial help but just like okay you, you've done all the work you've recorded it you play it if you teach people how to play it you also get paid for that yeah. so that helps and, do you have are you completely changed of subject now being mindful of your time isaac and heading to my final questions the roller coaster questions um, I would start asking you if you are spiritual at all, if you have any beliefs. Um, yes and no. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a, a baptized, I'm a, on paper I'm a Christian. And I would say that uh, I do think that Christian values are sort of universal values, you know, love your neighbor and stuff like that and don't kill anyone. <laughs> um, so I do believe in those uh, yeah, universal truths, if you want. And uh, there's a very, I, I don't know if you ever heard of Jordan Peterson. Of course. Um, he's a clinical psychologist and I've read a, a couple of his books and I've also seen his series on YouTube about uh, I think it were biblical lectures where he explains like how did we come to a point where someone wrote down all the stuff that's in the Bible and why it's still relevant thousands of years later and he tries to not only explain what's written but also explain how we came to that point where certain stories are so big and still relevant. And uh, I, I, I think that was really interesting. And I like the way he answers a question like you just asked. He would say that he, he acts as if God would exist. 
So he's not answering yes or no on the, on the question, do you believe in God? It's more like, well, I acted out as if he would exist. And I do like that interpretation. And maybe it's um, a little coward, coward answer. I don't know. Like you don't say yes, you don't say no, but you, you'll never know. Um, so I would say that that's similar to how I want to look at it, you know, and not to say that I acted out all the time. I might be a total asshole from time to time, but, um, I try not to. <laughs> and, uh, spiritual, I, I, like my wife, she's quite spiritual and I never laugh at her whenever she comes back with a story or a belief or anything like that. I try to be open-minded for it. I think anyone who has uh, read Epica lyrics uh, also knows that we have quite some spirituality in there. And uh, I, I do believe there is a, yeah, a good portion of those lyrics where I can relate with. But again, it's not something I'm actively searching for. It's not like I'm reading a lot of books about it or um, or that I'm online searching for spiritual uh, help or anything like that. I used to be really interested in psychology. I read a lot of psychological things, um, which might be to some degree related to spirituality. Um, so I, 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 yeah, I think we're, interesting creatures and that the world is really interesting and uh, and how we navigate into all of that is uh, something that I sometimes like to think about like how did we get to this point and what's you know like you say if it's in writing a song or if it's in your career or whatnot like what's the next direction to take you know there's so many options and what's the best way to go um and, and that's when stuff like that comes to mind and where I try to come up with what's the best for me or for the environment or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a very vague answer. No, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good answer, a very broad answer, actually, touching various uh, angles and bringing Jordan, Jordan Peterson to the conversation. I'm a big fan. Um, I've read... Um, all his books really like uh just recently yeah. went through beyond order uh maps of meaning is just just great and um the yeah. the yeah. he's got the podcast his podcast and on the beginning of the podcast i think it was 2019 uh you can find all the biblical series oh, yeah. you know and it's fascinating i mean from time to time i i go back because he's such a yeah. he's such an eloquent intelligent um, man man that uh, you really have to take your time to digest what he's saying because it's so incredible how he managed with words to explain things and give perspectives and different angles from you that somehow it makes a lot of sense to you but you never really thought through from that particular angle so I really admire him I really admire him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely... And that's what I like. 
Yeah, a lot of people uh, are very short-sighted, you know, like, oh, it's like this. And I love how he, uh, I, I always try to do the same, like to think about all the nuances and look at it from a different side. Um, so, I, but he goes beyond, you know, he's, he's just like he's, yeah, he's taking a- all. I, I love how it takes him like, I don't know, three or four episodes before even starting to write. To, to read the first sentence of the Bible. <laughs> Here's some prequel to, yeah. <laughs> to the first sentence of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Some people just have this uh, mental power. He's definitely one of those. He's a force of yeah. nature, that man. And I'm glad yeah. that because he's gone through like a lot of uh, health problems and now he seems yeah. to be back on his feet. So... Uh, long live Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah, Isaac, do you have or follow any morning routines? I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Usually. No, well, uh, I, I would say coffee is like the first thing I uh, I need. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, with a kid around, it's, it's kind of whatever he wants. <laughs> So it kind of changed my routine uh, back before we had a, a kid was different, but um, now it's a matter of uh, trying to put in put on some clothes. <laughs> it's a very big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and after that's done, I might be able to shower myself and to put on my clothes. You know? <laughs> And by that time, it might be noon already. So, um, but either way, uh, yeah, that we have a lot of uh, animals at home. So in the morning, it's more about them. We have uh, some ponies and cats and oh, wow. chicken and dog. Really? So, That's yeah, awesome. so I need to make sure they don't die. They have to uh, get some food. And um, Very cool. so usually the mornings are quite busy with all of that. And uh, and then I usually start working in the afternoon, pretty much. Mm. Very cool, very cool, Isaac, my friend. It's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Totally. And uh, I love the fact that you know uh, the podcast um, gives this opportunity to actually you know get to know people more. I've had like friends on this podcast that we've spent like two hours talking uninterrupted, and I've learned from like that two hour more than I've had during the last six years of life, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. We, uh, like a couple of years ago with Epica, we started this uh, Patreon thing. It was the same thing. We've been around 24-7 in tour buses all over the world, and then suddenly you get like a platform where anyone can do, anyone from the band, let's say, uh, whatever they want. And I had exactly the same, like, oh, shit this person is also doing that or, you know, so yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the music that you do. Thanks for your time. And, uh, yeah, I hope to see you soon down the road. Yeah, definitely. At some point we'll see each other again. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation, this podcast as much as I did doing it. So, If that's the case, please do follow on Instagram at RollercoasterCarl, myself at Carl Casagrande, on Twitter, same thing, 
Facebook, same thing. Uh, do subscribe. Do subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify. That's very, very much appreciated. Thank you and have a great, great day. Cheers. Bye-bye.